All right. Um, welcome tonight to the evening service. I'm going to do something very unique. Uh, I'm going to do something very bizarre. I've never done this before. Uh, I'm going to take what I have in my notes here, and if we get to it, we get to it. But we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to do something impromptu. I'm going to discuss something that Jeff was just talking about. Uh, we were talking about some things about typology and symbols with the nation of Israel, uh, talking about uh, how the Lord uses certain things to communicate to Israel and with the importance behind it. And uh, I just wanted to point something out. I think it's important to to, to not just let that conversation die, Jeff. Uh, I want to communicate some of the issues that we see with Israel. Why Israel struggles? Um, you know, there's a lot of problems that... Um, that Israel has, but one of the biggest issues that they have, God points it out specifically in the book of John. And we're going to take a look at that tonight. We're going to kind of do a little impromptu study. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple of things and then we'll kind of hopefully address that concept a little bit. And then we'll kind of move into a little bit where it's similar to what we're talking about, but something a little bit Lord willing, time permitting, uh, unless I get bogged down here in the book of John, which is extremely possible to do because I think it took me two years to preach through the book of John last time I went through it. So we, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll hopefully not go for two years on this, but let's go ahead and pray. We'll get started and we'll just get right into it. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for um, all that you've given us. And I thank you again for your word. I thank you again for the leading of your Holy Spirit. I thank you again, Lord, that uh, you can give understanding and wisdom and instruction uh, to us as as human beings. And uh, Lord, I understand uh, the, the the great sacrifice that you made upon the cross for us and uh, to pay for our sins and the power of your resurrection in the conquering of sin and death. And Lord, just having that understanding and having that shown to us uh, just gives us so much confidence, Lord, in you and who you are and what you tell us. And Lord, the truth that is there, knowing that you're never going to lie to us, but Lord, clearly revealing things to us as we study it out and as we think, as we contemplate, as we meditate, Lord, and as we prayerfully in, 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 engage you in, in Scripture every single day. I pray, Lord, that we would just uh, do that now, that, Lord, our hearts would be ready, receptive, ready to receive. You'd be with me, just speak through me. Uh, Lord, again, just uh, we desire that this time would be a blessing because you're meeting among us and teaching us. And, Lord, again, that uh, we would just please you with this desire to know more of you. And this I ask and pray in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and uh, turn to John chapter 3. <clears throat> Let's turn to John chapter 3. I want to show you something here. <clears throat> so the nation of Israel has always had a, a, a bit of a struggle when it comes to uh, understanding what God says. And a lot of it has to do with the mentality of them seeing only physical things. Um, they, they really struggle with that throughout, uh, the gospels. You can see it. You see them struggle with, uh, the physical things over in, uh, the historical books. You see them struggling with idolatry. And one of the main reasons that, that they struggle with idolatry is because they're looking for something that is in a physical, tangible form. Um, and, and this, this is with a lot of individuals, a lot of people. 
You take a look at uh, a lot of the religions the, that are out there today that uh, worship idols. Um, they have an idol that's out there. They worship it. They pray to it. And as God points out over in the book of Psalms, uh, I believe it's 116, uh, they're dead. There's nothing that's there. They're just, uh, uh, just if you will, a piece of wood, a piece of metal, a piece of rock. You know, uh, Jeremiah chapter 10 talks about the futility of it. You know, the... the the uh forceman goes out, chops down uh, a tree, takes it back, gives it to the worker. He sits there and forms it, carves himself out an idol, builds something, uh, plates it with gold and silver, and then nails it down to, to be worshipped. And it, it, it's something that was made with their own hands. But again, they're looking for something that, that's physical. And we know that God has very clearly not revealed himself... Uh, in his spiritual form, if you will, in a visible sense to us physically. Now, obviously, we have in John, uh, Jesus Christ came physically. Yeah, he is God, as we talked about this morning. First uh, John 5, uh, 17, uh, 5, 7, excuse me, points that out and says these three are one. Uh, when we're talking about um, uh, um, the, the Trinity. So, so we understand this, and we understand that Jesus Christ is God. He is God in the flesh. Uh, he equally is man. At the same time, he was equally God, and for the purpose of uh, bringing salvation, as John declares in John chapter one, John the Baptist specifically, not the 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 apostle John that uh, wrote here, but John the Baptist, who declares, "Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world." So here we are, uh, a couple of chapters into the book of John. We find the very first miracle in chapter 2, uh, where the water was turned to wine. And again, there's a lot of typology with that. Um, there's a lot of typology with the fact that all they had was something that was of a physical form, the water, right? Uh, it was changed into something very different, wine. And the purpose behind that was to show that the water did not bring the joy that the wine was bringing. And that's, again, you know, you take a look at wine in Scripture and what the purpose behind the wine was, was to bring joy. Not drunkenness, totally different subject matter. But we're talking about specifically the wine that God created, the good wine, the best wine, not something that was old and disgusting. But what we find here is we find that the, the, the Lord is communicating that the nation of Israel had lost its joy. You, you, I mean, that's, that's the whole purpose behind that miracle that we find in the book of John chapter 2. They'd lost its joy. They were just, what, they were just water. Empty vessels to begin with. That water gets put in there. There's a washing of the water, if you will. Then that water is then changed into wine, and the next thing you know is there's people enjoying it. That's what the nation of Israel was supposed to do, is they were supposed to be representative of bringing glory and the joy of the Lord to everyone else. What is it that the angels declared? You know, when they first came here and they were uh, uh, showing uh, or, the, the, or talking to the shepherds about uh, the, uh, the birth of Christ. We see that in, 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 uh, over there in the book of Luke and how they were declaring. They were talking about peace on earth, goodwill towards men. I mean, here they are singing praises about Christ's birth. 
And, and again, there's a lot that we look at when we start looking at the book of Matthew about their, their desire for a king. So here we are, you know, kind of coming off of that one miracle. We find that there was other miracles that were being done uh, um, and uh, um, <clears throat> being um, uh, th- throughout this. But in, in John chapter 3, here we have Nicodemus. Now, again, we'll, we'll, we'll read a few verses here and we'll, we'll make a comment about it. It says in verse 1, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Okay. So here we've got Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a ruler, a religious ruler of the Jews. He specifically is supposed to be teaching and leading. This is something that is important for them to do. This is something that is important for the Pharisees to do. But they took their positions and they made it into something else. We see a, a lot of uh, uh, Pharisaicalism in churches today, Pharisaicalism in other religions, where they come up and they set themselves up as the preeminent, as we see in Diot- uh, with Diotrephes over in John chapter, or not John chapter 3, but in Third John. Uh, we find him wanting the preeminence and, you know, restricting people from coming into the church and kind of, if you will, basically being a religious bully. And what we find is that the Pharisees were the same thing. They were religious bullies. The scribes were just the same. They all had this intellectual assent. They all thought they knew what was best. They all thought uh, the traditions of men, all of these things, this is what they were going for. The problem is, is what we find here is that Nicodemus is one of them, but Nicodemus is beginning to admit what the Pharisees knew. And as I pointed this out before, he says, he says, we know thou art a teacher come from God. He specifically says, we know you are come from God. Now, why they would be messing with a prophet of God, why they would be messing with a man of God, why they would be messing with a teacher from God and basically harassing him throughout his entire ministry just shows how far gone they have gone in their thinking to get to the point of where they're just going to say, well, we don't care if he's from God or not. He's going to mess with us. He's going to ruin what we've got, their position, as they said. Because that's what they were afraid of. They were afraid of losing their position. But what we find here is Nicodemus also reveals something else that's very important. Nicodemus sees a glimpse of the spiritual. Take a look at that in in, in verse 2. He says, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So they knew, first and foremost, that that Jesus Christ, that he was a teacher that was come from God. He obviously had a relationship with God and very clearly was doing miracles that required spiritual power, supernatural power, that were not capable of being done by anyone else. How many miracles did the Pharisees produce? Did you see him going in there and laying hands on people? Healing the the, the man with the withered hand? Changing water into wine? Casting out the demons. You remember back over there in the book of Acts when some of them got the bright idea of, hey, we're going to go and cast out a demon out of this guy. And, and they, they, they start talking about Jesus Christ 
of whom Paul preaches. And then that, that, that devil responded, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but I don't know who you are and attacked him. Uh, that's scary. And why was that? Because they had no spiritual power. They had, they, they didn't have the spirit behind them, behind them. And this is where it becomes very important and critical is that we look at and we understand that the power that, 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 that people are craving is a spiritual power. They're craving something that they can't obtain right now. I mean, we're, we've got people trying to figure out how we can live forever. We've got people trying to figure out how we can levitate stuff with our minds. We've got people out there trying to figure out how in the world we can heal our human bodies with just thought. We've got all these things going on. And, and that's just to name a few that these people are searching for. You look at the new age mentality and the new age mentality is trying to tap into the spiritual world. But the problem is, is they got the wrong number and they've got the wrong spirit. They've got a spirit that, and spirits, I should say, that ought not be messed with, that should be left alone. And everything from, uh, from all of their transcendental meditation to things about yoga and things about, you know, wellness and wholeness and health and things like that all center around a humanistic mentality of, in essence, man becoming God. Transformation of physical into spiritual. This is what Israel had a problem with. They kept seeing things physical. Physical, 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 physical. Here, Nicodemus points out, he says, okay, we see something that is spiritual in nature. We see something that is spiritual in nature. So Jesus Christ responds in form and responds with a spiritual truth. Take a look at the spiritual truth in verse uh, 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this is not the kingdom of heaven. This is the kingdom of God. We're talking about something spiritual. Kingdom of heaven, let's keep that in mind. That's physical, literal, 1,000-year millennial reign of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of, <coughs> excuse me, the kingdom of God is something that is spiritual. That is, you know, we're talking about the body of Christ. We are talking about um, uh, his work, his gospel, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're talking about those things. So when we start looking at what he's talking about here, he's saying that man has to have a change in order to understand or in order to get access to that which is spiritual. You know, Wednesday we're talking about change, how to make change. And the things that we talk about on Wednesday are, are with about change is this. We're always talking about you must involve Scripture, you must involve the Holy Spirit. God must be part of that, if not the whole thing. Otherwise, we're just not going to affect change. We're just going to frustrate ourselves. We're going to beat ourselves over the head constantly. Why? Because we keep failing in the change. Now, now here he promotes or, or, or presents a, a, a very spiritual principle. You must be born again. 
You must be born again. People have to be born again. When, when, if you go over to, to, the, to the book of Romans, you find that Paul laments this situation. Keep your place here. Go over to the book of Romans. <clears throat> and uh, in Romans chapter 7, <clears throat> in Romans chapter 7, And uh, in verse 7, let's start there. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. And he's talking about some differences between law and grace. And he says, is the law sinful because it can't save? And we're talking about the law of Moses doing good works. And he's saying, no, that's not the case. God forbid. He says, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law said, thou shalt not covet. Paul had no idea about what the law said until the law was presented to him, and he wants something that he can't have, and there's the law that says thou shalt not covet, and he realizes he just violated God's standard. He wanted something that he couldn't have, and that was a pride-filled issue. It was lust, and he realized he just broke God's commandments. He, He sinned. He broke the law. He says, but sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. Some point in time, there was a spiritual life that was within Paul, but then when that commandment came, just like what happened over there in the Garden of Eden, he sinned, and what happened, boom, immediately sin did exactly what it does, and it brought death into the situation. Just like it brought death in the Garden, it brought death to Paul right here. That sin. That changes a lot of things. Because as he goes through this, he says, for I was, uh, um, uh, excuse me, uh, yeah, in verse 10, he says, in the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. He's saying, here's the issue. that was telling me, thou shalt not covet to preserve my life, but what did I do? I violated it and I found death. And in verse 11, he says, for sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Remember what I was talking about this morning, about pride coming in? And what does pride do? Pride deceives. Oh, it's okay. You can, you can want that. That's fine. Come to find out, it was a, it was a spiritual sin. It says, wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. And, and, and in verse 13, he says, when then that which is good, uh, excuse me, was that then which is good made uh, death unto me? God forbid, but sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. And he points out and he says, here's the issue. We've got to understand the concept of how deadly sin is. It kills over in Ephesians chapter 2 and in verses 1 and 2, he talks about us being dead in our trespasses and sins. But we are alive, we are quickened by the Spirit of God, power. 
Remember over there, there was Simon the sorcerer. He saw the Holy Ghost being given to some of those that were over there in uh, the believers. And Simon the sorcerer came to uh, uh, Philip and Peter and them and said, I want that power. How much money do you want me to give you to get it? Well, it's not about money. What was it to him? It was about power. He saw the power of the Holy Ghost and he wanted it. But that wasn't going to come unless he was trusting Christ as his Lord and Savior. That's a problem. He was trying to buy it. But we find, again, that's a physical thing. A physical thing. Take a look, going back over there to John chapter 3, we find, again, this physical thing. God, you know, Jesus Christ tells him a spiritual truth saying you have to be born again, meaning that you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You need to be quickened, made alive again in the spirit, but you need to be born again. And what does he say here in verse four? Uh, Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So what does Nicodemus immediately go right back to? The physical. Here he is, he's saying, I see a glimpse of something spiritual. Jesus Christ is like, okay, I'm going to show you something spiritual here. Here's a spiritual truth. And immediately he just like short circuits and goes right back to the physical sense. And I'll tell you, when you're witnessing to somebody and you're talking to somebody about the Holy Spirit or about Jesus Christ, they will go back to the physical things. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times it's happened to me. You're sitting there talking to somebody about, well, it's about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he, 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 he's God and he came here born. He was in the flesh and he died for you and me for our sins, gave himself for us and, and, and uh, in, in a physical sense as well as a spiritual sense. And, 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 and as such, he died and paid for my sins. And then he rose again to conquer sin and conquer death that we may have eternal life through him and through him alone. And all we have to do is, as the Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord, believe in him as we see in the, the, the rest of the John, uh, the chapter of John with the Nicodemus, uh, conversation. And immediately say that, and then somebody just kind of looks at you and goes, yeah, but what about the starving children in Africa? What about the fact that there are so many wars out there and there's so many people dying? What about the mass school shootings or the mass shootings in schools? And you're like, okay. We went back from, we went from something spiritual to something physical. Let's try to make the connection. What happened in the physical was because there was a spiritual problem. And this is the issue with the nation of Israel. There's a spiritual problem. They don't get it. They can't see it. Um, the spiritual problem is sin. What, 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 what causes mass shootings? Is it the firearm? No. It's sin. 
You know what's going to stop mass shootings? The elimination of sin. That's what's, that's what will stop it. It'll end it like that. So we see we got a greater issue than just say, quote unquote, access to firearms. What, what, what ends, uh, uh, drunk driving? Taking away cars? Yeah, take away roads. Let's just, let's get rid of, oh man, they'll, they'll run you over in the forest, dude. Uh, they, <laughs> you ever seen rednecks driving through the forest with a truck? They'll run over anything and everything. I'll never forget the time we were on a manly man macho mountain mission. We're driving down the road and we're singing, it is well with my soul. There's about, I think we had packed 15 guys into and one of the old, and I'm talking old school, um, Toyota 4Runners. All I know is that there was a guy in between me and Tim Shanks, and it, uh, or not, uh, no, it was Tim Shanks next to me, and I was in the front seat, and there was another guy driving, and it was a stick shift. <laughs> so it was it was getting crazy. That's all I'm going to say. And there was I think there was at least five guys stuffed in the back seat, and then there was an additional five in in, in the back of the thing holding on for dear life with the tailgate open. I'm sitting there going, this is not safe, nor is it anywhere remotely manly, but it is what it is, right? And uh, I just remember that, and I just it was like, man. And then all of a sudden, this deer, this baby, you know, this this fawn just hops up in the middle of the road. Well, the normal thing is, is you apply the brakes, right? No, they just kept going. So here we are, we're chasing this deer down the road. And this fawn is running for his life. And we're just singing it as well with my soul at the top of our lungs as we're chasing this deer down the road in a forerunner that's about ready to give out because it's kind of well past its weight limit. And, and I just remember that. And, and, and so yeah, they'll, they'll run you over. It doesn't matter about roads. <laughs> but the end result is, is that won't change any issues. Removing roads, removing cars, removing alcohol, that won't remove any issues. What's the problem? Sin. Sin. It's always going to go back to that. Here he is. He's going back to this. He's going back to a physical thing. And again, he can't grasp that concept. Here he is looking at it from a physical sense. And if we look at this in light of, you know, change that we need to make in our, 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 our lives as believers, and, and if you will, salvation in the light of an unbeliever, it's always going back to the physical. Christians try to have physical means to, 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 to fix a spiritual problem. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. I mean, when you've got, look, there are certain medicines out there that are, that are intended to fix spiritual problems. And they're, they're pharmaceuticals and they're intended to fix spiritual problems. But the problem is it doesn't address it. Why? Because it's a physical thing trying to fix a spiritual issue. What do you need? You need a spiritual solution. You need a spiritual solution. And we find as he goes back to this, as, as, as Nicodemus goes back to it in verse 5, Jesus Christ begins to explain. John chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Jesus answered, said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water 
And he's talking about physical birth and of the spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He's like, first and foremost, you have to be physically a person. And I like to go back to this verse to point out that you know who does not inherit the kingdom of God? Angels. Why? God didn't die for them. Because they're not born of the water. What is it? What do they call it when a woman goes into labor? What's the first thing that's kind of the signal? The water breaks. So what do we find here? We find something very unique, something very interesting. God says, okay, first and foremost, in order to get into, you know, kingdom of God here, you got to be a physical human being. But that physical human being that is created with a body, a soul, and a spirit needs salvation and needs a spiritual connection. That spiritual connection must be being born of the spirit. The Holy Spirit that does the work. The Holy Spirit that performs that operation without hands. The Holy Spirit that comes in and, if you will, cuts away us from our flesh, which is dying and and, and dead and corrupt and needs redemption in its own. But he cuts us away, and, and if you will, we now have that spiritual connection with God again through the Spirit of the Holy Spirit specifically. That's why an unbeliever cannot understand spiritual things. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's not there teaching them. The Holy Spirit teaches those that there's a spiritual connection with. Now, the Holy Spirit leads into conviction. The Holy Spirit leads and shows an unbeliever the need for salvation and reveal some of those things to them. But you know what they need? They need salvation in order to move further into this. This is why when you get a bunch of theologians together, the first thing you got to start asking the question is, are they saved? <laughs> One of the biggest issues that people have in regards to the King James Bible is, uh, you know, some of the, the, the texts, some of the Greek texts that were translated. And there was two guys out there, uh, Westcott and Hort. I don't know if you heard about these guys, but these guys uh, pr- produced a bunch of texts from which they would translate and they would put into the English form. Well, these guys, and, and again, I can't remember who was who, but you've got one that believed that the only way to actually get into heaven was to pray to Mary. The other one was an occultist. What business do they have having anything to do with the Bible? And you want to know and hear what's really sad about this? There, that trans, those translations that they produce are still being produced today. As an example, uh, the, the Bible that is translated into the Korean language uses the Westcott and Hort translation. And you know what it brings in? It brings in that in order to be saved, you must have sacraments. You must partake of communion and you must be baptized. Well, Romans 10 said, whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And furthermore, the thief on the cross took neither. So now what? 
It also teaches that you can lose your salvation. It also teaches that uh, Jesus Christ is not God. It teaches things where it's very close to and, if you will, insinuating that uh, Lucifer and Jesus are one and the same. That's what that text teaches. Now we've got a problem. But here he's saying, look, in order to understand spiritual things, you've got to have a spiritual connection. In order to have a spiritual connection, you have to be born again. You have to be born of the Spirit, as he says here in verse 5. In verse 6, he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's the water part. He's saying that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And this is where we have to get this understanding. What is in the flesh is going to be fleshly. It's going to be carnal. So when you try to apply fleshly mechanics to a spiritual problem, the end result is is you wind up with a fleshly solution. And what's the problem with flesh? How many of you this morning woke up and you found a new, new pain that showed up somewhere? How many of you woke up this morning and were like, really, is it Sunday again? I'm so tired, I just want to go back to sleep. The other day, I slept through my alarm. I don't even remember turning it off. I woke up, and I was like, woke up with a start, not this morning, thank God. It was on Saturday, and it, that was probably because we were up late, you know, bringing the girls back. Uh, they got, you know, in late, and we, I don't know, I think we all went to bed somewhere. Or I went to bed somewhere around 3. I'm like, I'm done. I'm gone. <laughs> in the morning, in the morning. And um, the the end result is, you know, I... I I slept in. I slept in till 8.30. I know, that's horrible. Um, and I just remember waking up and looking over and going, whoa. My body needs redemption. It can't go without food. It can't go without rest. It gets injured. I need, I need repairs. You know, that's what happens. It's flesh. Flesh is temporary. So in order to fix a spiritual problem, why would you use something that's going to be temporary? That's trying to, that's trying to fix a sucking chest wound with a band-aid. It doesn't work. You need to do something more invasive. You need to get that person to a hospital. There's things that we have to begin to understand that when it comes to what God's talking about, He wants us to make a clear differentiation between what is a fleshly thing And what is a spiritual thing? And this was a problem with the nation of Israel. And I dare say it's a problem with people. Because I see the same parallels that the nation of Israel did. I see the same things in the church. I see the same things with people out there today. People are out there, and what are they seeking? They're seeking everything but God. They're seeking everything but God. They're promoting humanism. Humanism is the religion of the day. Well, what's the problem with humans? How many movies and how many books have been dealing with the subject matter of human extinction? Uh, how many how many scientists actually are out there promoting human extinction events? How many of them out there that are saying this world is going to kill us? It's going to attack us? It's going to destroy us? Well. All I have to say with this is God said that there's always going to be seasons. 
until he, he destroys this earth. So if there's always going to be seasons, then that means there's going to be a summer, there's going to be a winter, there's going to be a spring, and there's going to be a fall. There's always going to be a harvest time. The world isn't going to turn and, and turn against us, and we're not going to be able to grow food anymore. It doesn't work that way. But a scientist that doesn't understand God doesn't even understand the physical things because there's no spiritual connection. That which is the flesh is of the flesh, as he talks about here. And he says, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Meaning that in order to have spiritual connection, the kingdom of God, you have to have the involvement of God himself. The Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is equally God, just as Jesus Christ is and just as God the Father. He's not, he's not like the third lesser brother of this thing. I, I've heard people explain it and they're like, oh yeah, well there's, there's, there's God the Father and then there's God the Son and then there's kind of like this, you know, this guy that hangs around and, and, uh, he's kind of like the lesser son. No, that's blasphemous. That's, that, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. You got books out there, like the shack portrays the Holy Spirit as some sort of uh, um, uh, Asian female. Portrays God the Father as a black woman. And Jesus Christ as a hippie. That's blasphemy. That's blasphemy. I've had Christians come up to me and say, what do you think about the book The Shack? Do you think I should read something like that? I mean, it's this, it's this guy's revelation of who he thinks God. I'm like, no, that is not Bible. Throw that book away. Burn it. Get rid of it. I mean, you throw it in the trash. Recycle bin. I don't care. Get rid of it. Don't know. Christian has no business reading that stuff. But here we are. We're moving to this, this part where he's talking about, and he says in verse 7, he says, Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. Because at this point in time, the look on, on Nicodemus' face is probably just like, what? What do you mean? You mean I'm not going to understand any of this until I have a spiritual rebirth? And if you look at the Old Testament, that's the theme of the Old Testament, is it not? The spiritual rebirth of Israel? Their restoration? Wow, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> Sorry. Hang it. He says, marvel not. This shouldn't be something that's foreign to you, Nicodemus, because you've got the scriptures. In verse 8, he says, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot, canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. He's saying, you're not going to see it physically. Do you physically see the wind? No, you can't. Wind is a very amazing creature. I was talking to the Griffies. What drives our climate here is the wind that comes off of the ocean and the wind that comes off of the Puget, or not the Puget Sound, uh, the Columbia River. That drives it, right? Because if we get an east wind right now, if that east wind was to whip up and bring all that cold air over here, everything that's wet right now would be solid ice. But did you see the wind? We saw the effects of the wind. And we see the effects of the Holy Spirit. We see the fruitfulness. 
we see the change in a person's life. We see different desires. So one of the things that we see here is he's talking about, he's saying, look, Nicodemus, I know you're caught up on this physical thing, but it's not a physical thing. You need to look at it as a spiritual thing. You're not going to see the Holy Spirit. You're going to see what it produces, what he produces. And what he produces is spiritual in nature. This has always been a problem with Israel. They've disregarded the spiritual. Nicodemus in verse 9 answered and said unto him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Now he's not just a teacher, he's, he's a master. That's like, you know, somebody like Stephen Hawking getting rebuked. And if you look at the Old Testament, you see exactly what Jesus Christ is talking about. You see how he's talking about over and over again. There's got to be a spiritual change. There's got to be a spiritual change. And the spiritual change is to the heart. And isn't it interesting how our soul, which is spiritual, has physical identification? Doesn't he talk about our soul having ears and eyes and heart and a mind and bowels, things like that? It's interesting to note that. Because again, we see that bridge between the two. And as God begins to point this out, he's saying, how come you don't know this? And the reason is, is because at this point in time, Nicodemus didn't have the Spirit. Nicodemus didn't have the Holy Spirit. In verse 11, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify what we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. He's saying, we've told you these things over and over again, and you're not listening. If I told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? They wanted to know exactly who Jesus Christ was, what his purpose was, what was going on. And he's saying, look, if I try to show you some things that just from this spiritual point of view and you're not getting it now, if I try to show you anything of heaven, you're not going to get it. A lot of people have a lot of misgivings about what they think heaven's like. Again, I go back to some of the, 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 uh, just point out a couple of issues with, uh, with heaven. You know, there's a temple in heaven. Ezekiel talks about it. Isaiah talks about it. And in that temple, there's a throne. John talks about that, and Ezekiel talks about that. So does Isaiah. And interestingly enough, you know where the mercy seat is? 
The mercy seat was there, and you've got the Ark of the Covenant, and then there was the mercy seat that was on top of it where the blood was sprinkled. And everybody's like, oh, it's right there on the Ark of the Covenant. That's not where the mercy seat is. That was a copy of the mercy seat that's in heaven. The real Ark of the Covenant has been in heaven the whole time. The whole time. Along with all the other pieces of the furniture of the temple. What Moses was told to make were copies of what was above. The real stuff. And and here's the interesting thing. Is people are often more concerned about the copies than the real deal. And he tells them, he says, how are you going to receive this? Verse 13, he says, no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the son of man, which is in heaven. Now this verse right there, if you sit on that verse for a while, that'll kind of blow your mind. But he's talking about he himself is God. He's talking about he has the ability to come down and go up. Mankind doesn't have that. And he says he's currently, as he's here on earth now, he's also in heaven himself. And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> Just like in the book of Ephesians, it says, if you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's in you right now, even though he's on the throne in heaven, and you're in him, even though you're standing or sitting right here. And you want to do Nicodemus' response. How can that be? It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. We have to look at it with a spiritual light. And here he goes through and he talks about all of these things, uh, and, and again, for, for sake of time to, to, to go into this, but he points out and he says, here, here's the issue. In verse 19, he says, and this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They would rather go towards something like that. And the greatest issue that we begin to look at is why is this and why is that and why, why, why? And we can point out and we can see very clearly that the reason that that happens is because, because people would rather choose something that was without God than something that has God with it. Romans 1 talks about that. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And what is that? Why is that? Because they changed the image of the invisible God into what? Physical things. What did they begin doing? Worshipping. Worshipping all sorts of things. Turn over there to Romans 1 just to see that real quick. Romans 1. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> It says in verse uh, 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into the image made like unto corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And it says, that, therefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor them, their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's the problem. Man is more concerned about worshiping man than he is concerned about worshiping God. And he would rather worship anything else 
that is out there than God. And the reason why is in verse 21, where it says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. There's the problem. They weren't thankful for what God gave them. The sin of unthankfulness is right up there with pride. It will lead you into a path that you do not want to go. And this is exactly what he was warning them about. This is exactly what he's been warning the nation of Israel about. This is why he says, look, you know, we've got all these witnesses, all these testimonies, and you're still not listening. He says, here's the problem. Here's the condemnation that you guys have brought upon yourselves is that you would prefer to have darkness in your life rather than light. Because here's the reason why in verse 20, back over in John chapter 3. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, and his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. So he does answer the question. You know how he answered the question? When he, they, he's asking, he's like, okay, we know that nobody can do these things except they're from God. We know that obviously you are from God. So what's the deal? And he responds with, the things that you're seeing are things of truth, things that are revealed of the Holy Spirit. They are things that are of God and God only. And they are things that are found, as he says right here, in truth that can only be made manifest with God. There's part of the problem. A lot of people want to try to find truth, but they want to try to find truth without God. Can't do that. Because here's why. Because truth, just like love, is God. Doesn't he say, thy word is truth in John 17, 17? Well, what's the word of God, what we have here? Well, who is the word of God? Jesus Christ. You remove Jesus Christ from the equation, you eliminate truth. You might have a facsimile. may look pretty close, but it's not the real deal. It's without Christ. And therein lies part of the issue. Is the nation of Israel has always struggled with that. They've always struggled with seeing things from a physical perspective, which is why it goes back to the Jew seeks after a sign. Jew seeks after a sign. Jew seeks after typology. Jew seeks after, you know, miracles. Why do you think, they're like I was saying to, to Jeff, why do you think they're going to go running after the false prophet and the beast? Because look at what they're doing. Oh, they're doing all these wonderful things. They're doing all these wonderful things. Well, no, they're not. They can do signs and miracles and wonders, but that doesn't mean that they've got the power of God. Devil's got some pretty intense power that mankind does not have. He can heal this physical body. Okay, that's creepy. He also can resurrect it, which is creepy. And why is that? Because, I mean, you go over there and you find over in the book of Jude, Michael the archangel and the devil wrestling for Moses' body. Well, why is that important? 
Because who shows up at the Mount of Transfiguration? Elijah and Moses. Who shows up as the two witnesses in Revelation? Elijah and Moses. It's not Enoch, folks. It's Elijah and Moses. God already told us in the Gospels, the Transfiguration. (laughs) Makes it clear. Makes it clear. And this is where we begin to realize that God wants us to understand His Word, which is why He gives us the Holy Spirit, which is why He gives us the teaching of the Holy Spirit, which is why we have to begin to tune our hearts to hear Him. And what does that mean? That means constant study and listening to this and listening to what God says. I have heard some crazy doctrines growing up. I've heard some ones that would just, you, you just, if I was to tell them to you, you'd probably look at me and think I was in a cult or something like that. And these came from independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, King James, you know, Baptist preachers and evangelists. And I'll tell you this, they were dead wrong. And I'm not saying that because I know, you know, everything. But what I'm saying is, is that it was wrong because it did not have a foundation in Scripture. It was stuff that was taken and used privately. It was a private interpretation that was used to bring upon their own destruction. It was something that they themselves were teaching as an opinion, not of God. And it was very clear that Scripture taught something completely different. Completely different. But they thought because they could, they said it, and that's what came out. That's what came out. I was originally going to go over to Second Kings tonight, and I was going to talk about Second Kings chapter four. I was going to talk about uh, uh, the 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 widow woman and her sons, and uh, the miracle of the oil with Elisha. And we know about the one with Elijah, where there's the widow woman and her son, and the cruise of oil and the 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 flower that that never ceased. It just kept giving and giving and giving and giving. But then we've got Elijah or Elisha over there who does another miracle with another uh, 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 woman that has lost her husband, and in order to pay a debt, she produces, you know, she 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 comes to the prophet and asks all these questions of, you know, what, what what can I do? How can you help me? And what happens? There's a bunch of empty vessels that get filled with what? Oil. Well, what's the oil a picture of? Oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And what does she do with that oil? She goes and she distributes it. But we see the, the, the fruitfulness of the Holy Spirit and what does how it works in her life. And I, I, I'm not. I have no time to go through that right now. But it becomes very clear that the nation of Israel has a problem filling their vessels, who they are, with the right stuff. A lot of times they're just empty. A lot of times they're filled with mixed wine. A lot of times they're filled with stuff that they shouldn't be filled with. And Paul warns us and says, we got to choose whether we're going to be a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor. What is it we're going to carry? What is it we're going to give out? And it has to be the things of the Holy Spirit, hence the fruit of the Spirit. That's what should be coming out of us. Did that even come close to answering your question, Jeff? (laughs) 
few more. He generated a few more. You all got time for another uh, hour or so? <laughs> did, did, did it kind of help you understand some things about that, though? Kind of explain that? Um, not trying to put you on spot in front of people, folks. I'm, I'm not. I don't answer, answer anything, but I think that the idea of like one thing, one question pops in my head is it makes me think a little bit differently in terms of death. Mm-hmm. Maybe the death that it's talking about is not really the death of the flesh, it's the death of the spirit. The poisoning of the spirit, perhaps, that causes death. And it's the second. The suffering that we incur from that, perhaps. It's the second death that he mentions over there in the book of Revelation, which is that lake of fire that is an eternal death. I can't even begin to imagine what that's like. So yeah, you know, no, you're 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 on the right track. You're pointing out it's not just a physical death. While that was again a consequence of sin, there is a spiritual death that is involved, and there's a lot more to that 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 that, that people do not get and people do not realize, which is why the essence of you must be born again. Otherwise, you're spiritually dead, and the end result is you're gonna be right there at the great white throne judgment. And if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and your name isn't written in the Lamb's Book of Life, there's that second death that he talks about, which comes about, again, which is spiritual in nature, but also at the same time physical in a sense because it is the torturing, if you will, of the body, the tormentors and all of the stuff that he describes in hell all those things that occur because of the consequence of sin. So, yeah. No, I, I get that. All right. Well, uh, we're, I'm going to go ahead and let you guys go. And then me and Jeff will have another continuation <laughs> discussion. <laughs> you guys are more than happy to pay attention and listen as we continue it. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of wrap up tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again, Lord, just... Uh, above all for the desire that you put in us to know. And, uh, Lord, there's just so much complacency in the world and complacency with believers that just don't want to know what the scripture says. And, uh, Lord, I just thank you for the desire to know those things, a desire, Lord, that you put in us to ask questions so that we will learn so that we may know about you so that we may know more about you that we may know of your will and may know what you want us to do in this life and what our purpose is and what your purpose for us is. Lord, I just thank you for that. I pray, Lord, you just dismiss us tonight with uh, safety as we go home. Uh, Be with us throughout this week. Uh, Lord, as uh, we endeavor to please you and serve you throughout it, thank you again for all that you've done for us. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.